Candice, and you're listening to Music for Cupcakes, a podcast all about a bunch of songs that I wrote a long time ago. For my final episode for this season of Music for Cupcakes, I've decided to talk about a song called Today, which I wrote for my then fiance, now husband, as a surprise for our wedding almost eight years ago. This is going to be a big episode. I've been half dreading it and half super excited about sharing the background story of how and why I wrote the song and all the little fun facts I can remember. It's a song that means a lot to me and helped me get through a really tough and pivotal time in our lives. Just a disclaimer, I'll be venting about wedding culture and my personal experience with wedding planning, but I'm not bringing all this up because, you know, I'm an ungrateful brat who hates everything to do with love. I mean, I kind of am a brat. (laughs) But I want to describe the full mindset I had going into the wedding and while I was writing the song. Like one could easily assume that, you know, I was so excited to be a bride and wear an elaborate white dress and choose colors and fonts and dinner napkin styles and that I wrote the song as a celebration of my excitement and happiness. But that's not what happened at all. It's actually kind of a miracle that I even followed through and wrote it. It took over four years to get to where we are here. We are meant to be together today. So, I'm gonna be blunt. I'm not a fan of weddings at all. I don't like huge gatherings, especially when I'm a central part of them. Like, I don't mind going to someone else's wedding, and I typically enjoy hanging out and eating free food and having cake. But I hate the societal pressure that surrounds weddings. And I'm also just not into dresses and looking pretty and all that. I was never that little girl who daydreamed about my perfect fairy tale wedding or any of that. It was never something that I ever truly wanted for myself. But I wanted to find a life partner, and I was so grateful that Ben and I found each other when we did. I might have actually been okay with a big fancy wedding a few years before I got married. But unfortunately, like maybe a year before we got engaged, I read a book by Elizabeth Gilbert, you know, the Eat, Pray, Love author, and it was called Committed. A Skeptic Makes Peace with Marriage. And it's basically the story of how and why she decided to get remarried after her first marriage ended in divorce, and she had sworn off marriage after that. And within the book, she had done a bunch of research on the history of Western marriage and modern wedding traditions, you know, the stuff we're used to today. By the title alone, you would think this book would have gotten me excited about the possibility of getting married, but it actually made me really cynical about marriage. The more I read about the history of wedding ceremonies and diamond rings and marriage and bridesmaids, 
The more I felt like everything I had been taught about marriage was kind of a lie. I was raised in a conservative and religious household where the idea was you got to be a certain age and then you got married to someone of the opposite sex and the same religion and a similar age, but like without dating anyone because dating is like this terrible thing from Satan and you're just supposed to like magically find someone that your family approves of and then get married and buy a house and get a dog and then make 2.3 children with them. But actually, learning about the history of everything kind of made me rethink my existence in a way. It's kind of like, okay, this is a really dramatic example, so bear with me. In May, June, July of 2020, many people suddenly kind of woke up to the fact that systemic racism is like embedded in so much of our daily lives. All of a sudden, like the quarantine trend was to post black squares on social media and make official statements rejecting racism as if it had suddenly become a problem just that year out of nowhere. And a lot of people, a lot of white people, were doing research on the roots of racism in society and how it's ingrained in everything from our education system to healthcare to the housing market to the history of how the police force was formed. And a lot of people had their minds blown. Suddenly something as simple as the SATs or BMI, things we just accept as facts of life, they were exposed as things with racist white supremacist roots. I mean, not everyone believes that, but a lot of people were suddenly like, wow, the world looks different. This is a really extreme example, I know. But similar to how many people were relearning how racism is built into everyday life, back in the day, I was relearning how weddings and wedding culture were based on misogyny and the patriarchy and dated gender stereotypes and just the most random superstitions. Like, apparently the history of bridesmaids was that a bunch of women dressed in similar clothing as the bride to confuse evil spirits on the wedding day. So instead of attacking the bride, the evil spirits would attack, you know, the bridesmaids. Super cool, right? And now bridesmaids and groomsmen, they're like a popularity contest of your besties and your relatives, and it's such a headache. And don't even get me started on the consumerism and money-making aspect of weddings. I mean, if you want to book a venue for a party, it's at least 10 times more expensive if you tell them it's for a wedding. The prices for anything wedding-related are astronomical. And I think it's a little telling that the women of the wedding, including the bride, are supposed to buy their dresses, you know, things they'll probably never wear again, while the men of the wedding only have to rent their outfits, even though those are probably things they could potentially wear again stuff like that. It's just ridiculous. So I didn't want a wedding at all. I just wanted to get married. Well, I'm not even sure I wanted that. This is probably a terrible way to start off a podcast about the wedding song I wrote for my husband, but whatever. It's my podcast. I can say what I want. I wanted to be in a committed relationship, but I don't believe marriage is the only way to do that. 
In fact, marriage is literally not a permanent thing. People get divorced and remarried all the time, and it's a very common and usually a pretty accepted thing in Western society. But marriage just makes it harder and more expensive to break up, so like, I don't really get why so many people want to do it. I saw marriage as my way out of belonging to my family. Like at one point in my early 20s, my family told me that I literally belonged to them until I got married, and then after that, I belonged to my husband. Which meant that if I wanted to travel with my significant other of the opposite sex, if I wanted to live with him, if I wanted to have kids, if I wanted to do anything more than a friendly side hug with him, according to my family, I had to get married to him first. In a church, in a white dress. Anyway, not a fan of wedding culture, not a fan of wedding planning. Learning about the history of weddings made me realize that I didn't want a typical wedding at all. I didn't want to participate in society's dated and misogynistic traditions just because people expected it of me and had envisioned these things for me for their own benefit. I just wanted to get legally married and then have it be okay to live with and travel with and make babies with Ben. But unfortunately, my role in my family and Ben's role in his family meant that a few different people had some big expectations for this wedding and for our wedding planning choices. So in a very vague nutshell, it felt like people were vicariously living through our wedding, pushing their definitions of family through our planning process. People had things they wanted to prove to their communities and to themselves, and they wanted to use our wedding to do that. I know it's a really common issue for a lot of families and a lot of weddings, because other friends and relatives have shared similar stories. Ben is a big peacemaker, and he usually tries to, like, not rock the boat. So he was kind of like, let's just do what we're asked to do. And I'm also, like, a peacemaker in my own way. But my thing is, I try to give people what they think they want, while secretly just doing what I want to do instead, behind their backs. That wasn't possible in this type of situation, so I just, you know, wanted to give everyone what they wanted and then just forget the whole thing the day afterwards. I was fine doing what people asked, but I wanted them to know that it was for their benefit. But then they'd be like, no, you should make this decision because it's what you want. And I'd be like, I don't want any of this. And so on and so forth. Even before we got engaged, there was already so much pre-wedding stress because certain people were like, we have busy schedules and, you know, the engagement needs to happen soon or else we won't have the time to plan the elaborate wedding you don't really want. And then it put me in the awkward position of being like, so Ben, when are you going to propose? My family needs to know. So the engagement wasn't really a surprise, I'll just say that. And that's kind of a bummer. You know, most of the drama had absolutely nothing to do with us, but how other people wanted to be represented. And I found myself in the middle of a lot of attempts to compromise when one group didn't want another group to have their cake and eat it too, to put it vaguely. So it was literally impossible to make everyone happy. Like as a result, everyone was mostly happy, but a little bit unhappy. 
and I was the unhappiest of all. These days, there's so much talk about setting boundaries and saying yes and no when you really mean it, and we definitely did not set our boundaries correctly. But ironically, like someone would tell me, oh, you need to set a boundary with so-and-so. You need to learn how to say no to them. When that person giving me that advice was also one of the people I needed to set boundaries with, but I knew they wouldn't see it that way. There were also some cultural misconceptions going on, I can now say with certainty. Thankfully and weirdly enough, the wedding itself was fine. It was a nice, normal day. Nice things happened, and we successfully got married, which is the whole damn point, right? I had no expectations, and therefore I had very little disappointments. There was no drama that I was aware of that day. Like, there was some drama, but I didn't know about it until afterwards, which is how the best weddings go, right? So the lead-up to the wedding was stressful. And then after the wedding, there were also some hard conversations where some people still weren't happy about things, which was frustrating. And then years later, during other weddings, it was apparent that the politics that were strongly pushed on us were actually not that important for other people to follow. And so that also contributes to this bitterness I feel when I think about the events surrounding our wedding. I think my biggest regret was that I should have let other people fight amongst themselves. Like so often, I was the person in the middle of an argument that I didn't care about, but really I should have been like, person A, here's person B's number, please call them and work this out. And then I should have just let them talk it out instead of trying to compromise and be a peacemaker or some kind of cultural sensitivity interpreter. I still go to therapy about all this, by the way. Like every time we've made a trip back to the States to see family, I've booked multiple therapy sessions like months in advance and also a few sessions after our return because these are still things that frustrate me terribly and these are the kinds of problems that never really go away. They just keep shifting and reincarnating into different reiterations, like the older we get and the more big events happen, like moving and pregnancies and other major life changes. It's probably no surprise that we don't celebrate our wedding anniversary. Not because we're ungrateful that we had a nice wedding. I mean, I'm grateful for everyone who made the wedding happen and for everyone who came out to see it because it was technically a destination wedding where most of our family and friends had to fly to get there. So I'm grateful for the experience and all that. And you know, it's not because we're not grateful that we've had the privilege of being married. Marriage is actually pretty useful in the grand scheme of things. And I think more people should be able to have this privilege. So we're grateful to have that piece of paper that says we're married. But we don't celebrate the anniversary because like, why are we reliving something that meant more to other people than it meant to ourselves? Like it's a date that other people wanted to use for their own benefit. So let's just leave it in the past, right? So when anyone wishes me a happy anniversary, it's actually quite triggering even though I know it's immature and silly of me. You know, I don't even wear my wedding ring. That's another fun fact. Instead of celebrating our wedding anniversary, we celebrate our dating anniversary, which is also the date that Ben proposed to me. 
like he proposed on our third dating anniversary. And even though it wasn't really a surprise, as I mentioned before, it was a beautiful moment. I figure it's a date that belongs to us and I really loved our engagement. Ben rented a little boat and took me on Lake Union with a little picnic and we went out to a spot in front of Gasworks Park, a place that we had visited on one of our first dates. He didn't get on one knee because I had told him in advance that I didn't want that. And absolutely no one else was involved in the engagement. Like we didn't actually call anyone in our families until a few days, maybe a week later. It was a day that I think of as our last happy, blissful, almost ignorant day before unpleasant things started to rise to the surface. Anyway, now that I've spent like an hour venting about weddings, back to my wedding song if anyone's still here. <laughs> if you've been listening to my previous episodes, you might remember a song that I wrote called To Darren from Abby. And that was my first wedding song, which I wrote in 2008. It started out as kind of a joke song for my former roommate, but it kind of snowballed into like this amazing and super fun project. I had it produced at a professional studio. Abby came in to sing the lead vocals. Everyone kept it a secret from her fiance, Darren, and she surprised him by playing it at the wedding with the lyrics projected onto the screen. You would think that after an experience like that, like the second I got myself engaged, I'd be like, all right, time to go write and record a song in secret. But honestly, that idea was nowhere near my radar. I was unfortunately too stressed about all the nonsense that was going on around me to even think about it. And it didn't even cross my mind to write a song for the wedding for months. After about six months of just some of the most stressful and terrible conversations about the dumbest things, I knew it was imperative that I do at least one thing for my wedding. Otherwise, I knew I would just try to sabotage it in some way. And I was becoming just not a fun person to be around. I mean, I'm not usually a ball of happiness to be around anyway, but this was like turning me into someone I didn't like at all. So I was like, I need to write a song, like maybe something that I can surprise Ben with at the wedding, like Abby did for Darren. But most of all, I just needed a project to get excited about. I wanted to reignite my spark. And I can tell you, looking back on things like eight years later, writing and recording the song probably saves me and our relationship in ways that I will never know. The song didn't take me too long to write. I got out my guitar and started playing around with chords that I knew, and I came up with this picking pattern. I wanted to incorporate the story of our relationship and also, you know, throw in some cheesy but honest stuff about relationships in general. 
So here are the lyrics. The first time I saw your face was as a painting on the wall. I didn't think you'd be the one. Three months from when we met, you asked me on a walk, and I saw your smile in the sun. It didn't take too long before I figured out that love had taken me by surprise. It took some time before you said those three small words, but I always saw it in your eyes. And I know it's cliche, but it's our wedding day. We were meant to be together in every way. It took so many years to get to where we are here. We were meant to be together today. We've been through many trials, challenges, and pain, and there are still hard times in store for us. But each day we face, we will make a promise to ourselves to love, respect, and always trust. I've spent my life searching for you. Your love makes all my dreams come true. I love you more than words could say. We will face whatever comes our way. The first time I saw your face was as a painting on the wall and my life has never been the same. When we've seen better days and when our plans go astray, we will choose to be together anyway. Laughter, joy, forgiveness, tears for the rest of our years. We were meant to be together forever. We were meant to be together today. Every time I sit down to work on a musical project, I'm never sure if I'll be able to write another song, much less one that actually means something to me. But this turned out to be like, actually a really nice, decent song. And I was really excited about it. And it definitely gave me something positive to work on as my primary focus for like the second part of our engagement. Each time I see your face, it's painted on my heart. My life will never be the same. When we've seen better days and when our plans go astray, we are meant to be together anyway. Laughter, joy, forgiveness, tears. recorded my scratch demo, I immediately sent it to one of my good friends, Marie, for a few reasons. I wanted to make sure it didn't accidentally sound like another song because that would be embarrassing and I'm terrified of plagiarism. Marie is also a very honest person. Like, she's the kind of person who isn't afraid to say it like it is. So I wanted her honest opinion before I started working on a project that would be played in front of a bunch of people. Marie's biggest suggestion was about a line that I had in the original chorus. And I know it's cliche, but so are 
I know it's cliche, but so are wedding days. That was the original chorus. And Marie was like, Candace, I know you hate weddings, and your other friends know that you hate weddings, but this sounds too cynical for a wedding song that's going to be played in front of, you know, all of your parents' friends, basically. So she suggested that I use the line from my final chorus, and I know it's cliche, but it's our wedding day, for all the choruses. And I was like, mm, I guess that makes sense. I was a little reluctant to let go of my one cynical line in the song, but yeah, I'm glad I changed it. There were some other significant lyric changes between the demo and the studio version. Like this one, the line right after the bridge. Each time I see your face, it's painted on my heart. <laughs> that definitely did not make the final version. I mean, I'm sure some people might be like, oh, that's poetic, but it's so cheesy, even for a wedding song that's already cheesy. So thankfully, I decided to change it and bring it back to the opening line again. You know, the first time I saw your face was as a painting on the wall, and my life has never been the same. I think it works really well to bring it all full circle. Also, in the final chorus, where it goes, when we've seen better days and when our plans go astray, we are meant to be together anyway. I changed it to, we will choose to be together anyway. This was something that was inspired by a random engagement class that Ben and I took for a few months. It was at a small church in Greenwood, and it was recommended to us by a few other friends who had recently tied the knot themselves. Honestly, a church engagement class was like the last thing I wanted to be associated with. But we decided to just go to one meeting to, you know, say we tried, but it's not for us. And at our first meeting, Ben and I showed up wearing matching t-shirts. It was kind of like a silly thing we used to do to buy matching t-shirts and then wear them at the same time. And like, not just like plain white t-shirts or anything. I'm talking major pop culture, quirky t-shirts you'd find on really niche fan pages. We used to have like a Dr. Horrible shirt and like a shirt with characters from Miyazaki movies dressed up as Wizard of Oz characters, you know, stuff like that. And then during our engagement year, I had gotten really into running like 5Ks and 10Ks and I had convinced Ben to run a few 5Ks with me and we'd both get, you know, the free race shirts. So we had a fair collection of matching shirts. And during that first meeting, the couple who ran the engagement class kind of pointed it out like, oh, hey, that couple's wearing matching shirts. That's fun. And it kind of became this running joke throughout the class. And I was like, Ben, we have to keep coming to this and wear a different set of matching shirts every week. It'll be so funny. So that's why we attended the full engagement course, not because I wanted to learn about how to be a good Christian couple, but because I just wanted to show up in a silly shirt and make people laugh. <laughs> um, oh yeah, the lyric change, yeah. One of, one of the biggest things that I took away from that class was that marriage is a choice that you make every day. It's not just some magical piece of paper that makes everything perfect from then on. Marriage is a personal journey that is shaped by everyday choices. And so I thought, 
in that particular verse where I talk about the struggles we'll face in marriage when we've seen better days and when our plans go astray. I thought it would be much more effective to say we will choose to be together anyway instead of we were meant to be together anyway. So thank you, engagement class, for that inspiration. <laughs> In general, I usually try to write music that fits my mediocre voice and my small range. But every now and then, I write music that I probably shouldn't be singing or like music that doesn't sound good with my voice. And the bridge is a good example of this. It took me some time to write. In the scratch demo that I had sent Marie, I don't think I even had lyrics yet, just a wordless melody. But when I finally wrote lyrics that I liked, I knew that my voice wasn't strong enough to carry the phrasing by itself. Like, it would have been great to just belt out those long notes like a proper rock star, but that's completely out of my league. So I decided to layer the last line of the chorus over the bridge, mostly as a way to tie the song together. I love layering different parts when I can. I always love incorporating patterns and bringing things full circle in music, but it also worked as a distraction to disguise my flimsy voice not being strong enough to belt out those notes. After I recorded my final demo, I reached out to a local producer named Lacey Brown, who is an amazing musician, songwriter, teacher, producer. She's very talented on many fronts. She was pretty prominent in the community where I had met Ben, and she had been his drum teacher for a while. Right before our engagement, Lacey and another one of our friends, Tara, had invited me to collaborate on one of their albums by playing my bell kit for a few songs and also singing with a crowd of people for some background vocals. And that was super fun. I was able to see where Lacey's studio was located, what the setup looked like, and I really liked what she was doing. So I kind of had my foot in the door when it came time to look for a producer for the song. Fortunately, she was available and affordable and was more than happy to work with me on the song. And it was perfect because she's a friend of Ben's, so I knew it would be a meaningful collaboration. We met for maybe three or four sessions, and it was challenging to work on the song without Ben knowing about it because we were all in the same city and I spent most of my free time with Ben, so I had to be sneaky about it. This is probably not something I should be proud of in any way, but I love to lie. <laughs> but only when I know it's for like the greater good, you know? Like, I would have loved to be a spy in another life, or like a secret agent, or something where I had to be sneaky and be dishonest, but for good reasons, because obviously I'd be working for the good guys, right? <laughs> Anyway, because I was recording this song in secret, I had to make sure that Ben didn't know about the recording sessions at all. Most of them were like half-day sessions during the weekdays when he was working, so those didn't matter. But just in case, I made sure to cover my tracks, 
and I put all correspondence with Lacey in email folders titled like coupons or insurance or something. I even got old clothes from the back of my closet that I hadn't worn in forever. And I wore those to the recording sessions in case Ben happened to be like driving past me as I was walking from my car to the studio so he wouldn't immediately recognize me. Like sneaky stuff like that. I might have even changed my walking stride like on the way to and from the studio. <laughs> I know. <laughs> You're probably like, Candace is insane and should never be trusted again. <laughs> So our big recording session was a full day thing, and the only available day was a Saturday. And I usually spent Saturdays with Ben if I wasn't working. Back then, my job was at the Space Needle, which is this tourist trap in Seattle. And sometimes I'd have to work double shifts on weekends, like from 10 a.m. to past midnight. So I decided that that would be the perfect alibi for spending the day at the recording studio because I knew Ben wouldn't visit me at work. It's a tourist trap. It costs like $25 to get up the elevator. And it was a relatively normal excuse for why I wouldn't be able to spend that day with Ben. I think when I told Lacey about my plan, she was like, you don't really have to lie like that. Like, can't you just tell him that you'd like to spend the day by yourself? <laughs> and I was like, that would never fly. Or like in our relationship, that would be the equivalent of we need to talk. And then we'd have like a bunch of hard conversations. I knew this was like the best plan. Throughout that week during my real shifts, I remember like collecting work stories that I could save for after Saturday so that when Ben asked me how my long double shift was, I'd be able to tell him a bunch of random work stories like very naturally. Like, oh, John said this, and, and Paul played this terrible prank on me, blah, blah, blah. But it wouldn't be a total lie because those things had actually happened, but just not that night. Anyway, after the recording session ended, like in the early evening, I had to like hide out in my apartment for a few hours because my weekend shifts would never end before midnight. So like, I'm pretty sure I went back to my apartment and I hid in my apartment in the dark, I think, in case Ben drove past my place or something. And then I took the bus to the Space Needle where I had to like make sure I didn't run into any coworkers. And then Ben picked me up from work at midnight and you know, it worked. He had no idea that I wasn't at work at all that whole day. Anyway, now that I've ruined all of my past, present, and future relations by confessing about just how much I love lying, back to the music. The biggest difference between the GarageBand demo and the professional studio version is that the lead guitar changed from acoustic to electric. However, this was not an artistic choice and it's maybe my biggest regret about this recording that it ended up being an electric guitar. I've mentioned before that I don't really play the guitar and certainly not for more than four bars at a time. When I record my demos, I usually record four bars to the best of my ability and then I loop it so it sounds like I'm playing continuously. It's pretty obvious when you pay close attention to my demos. 
Pop music is really repetitive and I'm all for taking advantage of the technology that allows me to be a lazy musician for my demos. And in the past, for my studio recordings, I've worked with producers who were also my friends who knew my music inside and out and they were able to play the guitar tracks perfectly so I didn't have to. In this case, Lacey didn't do that. And you know, I didn't really expect her to. I was just kind of hoping that she'd let me do my little guitar looping trick. But she was like, no, it'll sound better and more authentic if you play the song from beginning to end. So I tried doing that. I played the song maybe nine or 10 times, maybe more, and it didn't sound good. It's a guitar picking part, which is a lot more technical than just drumming. And you really need to be precise and I wasn't able to do that consistently. Also, because I'm not actually a guitar player, my fingers felt like they were burning because I didn't have calluses on my fingers. So the more I played, the more it felt like my fingers were on fire and not in a good way, right? So after the last take, I was about ready to give up and Lacey was like, you brought your electric guitar, right? Why don't you try that? And I was like, Sure, why not? Thankfully, I was able to get through the song a lot easier because the electric guitar takes a lot less effort to play than the acoustic, but it still wasn't as precise as it needed to be. And honestly, I think the acoustic guitar would have sounded a lot more appropriate, especially for like a nice wedding song. So that's like the one thing that I wish I had done differently. Like, I wish I had actually practiced the acoustic enough to be able to play it well, or I wish I had hired someone else to actually play it properly. But anyway, it got the job done and I didn't have to waste the recording session. Lacey really wanted real drums and real bass for the recording. And since she's an accomplished drummer, she was willing to play the drums herself, which I was grateful for. And then I asked one of our mutual friends, Ryan Davis, who was a really good bass player, if he'd be willing to secretly learn and record the song. And thankfully, he was willing and available. Lacey asked me to write and print out some lead sheets for the session, which I was like, oh, I've never done this before. So a lead sheet is like the lyrics of a song and then like the names of the chords and you put the chords like kind of where they go in the lyrics. Like I was a music major in college and I studied music theory, but I was never good at it. So that was a fun experience, figuring out the key and the chord changes and all this stuff. It's one thing to write a song while simultaneously recording it. That's a very natural process, but it's an entirely different thing to literally write down your song. It was a humbling experience. Anyway, when I got to the drum and bass session and after everyone set up their instruments, Ryan looked at the lead sheet and he was like, um, I can't play this. And I was like, what do you mean? I think my bass parts are actually kind of easy and boring. Did I really write a bass part that was too challenging for like a professional bass player? Damn, I'm good. But he was like, yeah, the part is super easy, but my bass literally doesn't go down as low as the lowest note in the song. And I was like, 
Oopsies! Thankfully, the lowest note was only a half step below the range of the bass, and also Ryan is a champ, so he just tuned his bass down a half step so he'd be able to play it comfortably. But yeah, rookie mistake, right? After about three or four in-person sessions with Lacey, we emailed back and forth about little changes and tweaks here and there, mostly with the auto-tune, honestly, and some of the mixing, like the balance between different instruments. We were making last-minute tweaks right up until the week of the wedding. I can be a pain to work with sometimes. I wouldn't call myself a perfectionist because Obviously, if you hear my songs, they're not perfect, but like, I'm pretty picky about particular things. But fortunately, Lacey was great to work with, and we ended up making a great recording. originally wanted the song to be played at the ceremony, like kind of what Abby and Darren's wedding had been like. I knew that more people would be at the ceremony because my family had invited like their general community to just the ceremony itself. And I know that everyone's attention would be on us at the ceremony, whereas at the reception, people usually mingle and chat and they're in and out. But the wedding planner, aka my mother, insisted that there wasn't time for it, that it wouldn't fit the atmosphere of the wedding ceremony's music and program layout. She's a music director, so that's like her area of expertise. And she was pretty passionate about not letting me, you know, the bride, ruin her vision of a perfect classic wedding ceremony. I mean, I think it's ironically funny, and it's like the perfect example of how my wedding planning experience was. So the song got bumped to the reception for the first dance, but I wanted to make sure that we somehow had everyone's full attention, so I decided to move the first dance to the beginning of the reception right after our introduction. And I think I explained to Ben that it was so that we could get our dance over with. We both hate dancing, but I somehow convinced him that it was a good idea. Ben and I chose, chose a random song to dance to. I honestly forget what it was. It might have been What Can I Do But Love You by Joy Williams or something by Nikki Reed and Paul McDonald. I'm not sure, but like it didn't matter anyway. But I wanted to convince Ben that Nothing was out of the ordinary, so I had to pretend to choose a song to dance to. At the reception, the plan was for everyone to be seated at their tables, and then was the introduction of the wedding party, and then it was our introduction as the court lovers. And after that, the MC, my cousin Mimi, gave me the microphone so that I could like thank everyone for coming, stuff like that. I'm pretty sure I botched it because I'm terrible at public speaking. And I also started crying because, like, this was the big moment. Not the first look, not walking down the aisle, not exchanging vows and rings, but this dance I knew was our big wedding moment. 
So I turned to Ben and I said something like, I know you think we picked out a song for our first dance, but we were never going to dance to it because I wrote you a song and I was, you know, crying and, you know, kind of like a bride on her wedding day, of course. <laughs> My family hates public crying, like they see it as a sign of weakness, but I don't care. I was happy to be actually emotional for like one minute of that day. During the song, the rest of the world kind of fell away while we danced. It was pretty perfect. And I know it's cliche, but it's our wedding day. We were meant to be together in every way. It took over four years to get to where we are here. We are meant to be together remember anyone else's reaction except for mine and Ben's. But later on, people told me that there was, you know, a lot of crying in the audience, like especially Ben's family. One of his sisters had to use the table napkin to wipe away her tears. And she later told me that she was crying so much because she felt like that song was the only part of the wedding that was actually a personal, meaningful thing that represented us. And, you know, she was totally right. People at a reception loved the song. And I hadn't told anyone except my mom and Marie and maybe a few other friends, but like not that many people. So almost everyone else was just as surprised as Ben. The sound quality was perfect, and there were thankfully no glitches during the dance. I think right before the reception, there were like some issues with the sound, and like the venue was like, we can't use all the speakers, only half of them work. And I'm pretty sure like it was my mom who was like, that's not acceptable. And they somehow made it happen. So I'm forever grateful that it worked out because it was the only part of the wedding that I actually cared about. Bumping the song to the reception worked out fine, except a bunch of our friends ended up missing it because either they didn't get to the reception on time or because they skipped it altogether. Which is fine because usually the ceremony itself is the most important part of the wedding, right? Not the reception. So, you know, pros and cons. Around the time of our one year anniversary, I decided that I wanted to do a cover of the song as like a little anniversary present for Ben. This was like the only year we acknowledged our anniversary. Every year after that, I was like, mm, no thanks. I had wanted to do a more simple and romantic version, something piano-based. I was happy with how the original had turned out, but I also had some ideas that I wanted to explore further, like with the timing and some of the chords. So I called it Today Part 2, and it was all done on GarageBand with MIDI instruments. It didn't sound too bad for being all fake instruments, but someday I would love to do a live version with real instruments. I think that would be really powerful. It took so many years to get to where we are here. We're meant to be. Today.
Obviously, I'm really glad that I wrote the song and that everything fell into place to make it happen, from the recording to actually having it played at the reception. It was a good way to reorient myself away from everyone else's issues and back towards what was really the most important thing about our wedding, which is my relationship with Ben. Writing the lyrics reminded me what I loved about our story, and writing the song reminded me about what I love about myself. And it also gave me a wedding-related project to focus on that I actually cared about, so I knew I wasn't just gonna sabotage it. In many ways, our future wedding planning challenges helped prepare us for the future. I feel like it gave us a backbone for how to deal with future issues. Like I said before, these kinds of problems don't just go away after you get married. They transform into different kinds of problems as time goes on. I still have a lot of negative feelings about the wedding experience and a lot of the drama that I brought to the surface, and I kind of regret not just like secretly eloping beforehand, but it is what it is. Every year, we celebrate our dating and engagement anniversary instead. And it's a date that's 100% ours. No fuss, no drama. Just a boy and a girl on a boat, alone in the middle of a lake, pledging to spend the rest of our lives together. I'm all for celebrating that. When we've seen better days And when our plans go we will choose to be together I thought it would be really fun to hear Ben's thoughts about the song and our experience with the wedding. So I decided to interview him for this episode. Thank you, Ben, for taking the time away from your violent video games and your violent ninja movies. <laughs> Anytime. <laughs> yeah, so you've heard the episode. Was there anything that like stood out to you? I mean, I've told you everything at some point or another. What stuck out to me was the, I guess I like the way that you set it up where you talked about the background and inspiration for the song and how it was um, something that, like something that you needed to help you get through. Like a coping mechanism? Yeah, that I, I guess I didn't really realize that part of it. So that was something that had stuck out to me. I guess I didn't really appreciate how much the song played in keeping you sane through that um, I thought it would be fun to uh, go through the lyrics a little bit and, you know, tell our story through that because I didn't really touch on that in the episode. So the first line is, the first time I saw your face was as a painting on the wall. And that's a very 
important line because it's true, but it's not as like poetic as like the song would make it seem. Do you remember who painted your face on the wall and why it was there? So my roommate Brian and basically roommate Chris didn't actually live there, but might as well have lived there. Um, and they basically, they might have been inspired by someone else or maybe by me. I can't remember exactly. I know that there was some talk at the time around the movie Dodgeball and how Ben Stiller's character has a painting of him taking the bull by the horns on the wall. So I think that was sort of what the idea was behind painting my face on the wall. And the picture that they chose to do that was a picture of me looking like uh, I had my mugshot taken with my like handlebar mustache and my hair straightened so it was like long and sort of hanging over my eyes and face and and they used that picture to uh, get a projector and project the image up on the wall and I remember I feel like I was there but I maybe wasn't but just to clarify this wasn't like a, a Monet or something like really pretty like this looked like graffiti of like a, a wanted criminal on someone's bedroom wall. And that was the first time I literally saw Ben's face because I was doing a tour of the house that I wanted to live in, that Ben lived in. And um, yeah, I think Brian was there and he was like, oh yeah, that's that's a, a painting of my, my roommate Ben's face. And I was like, that's scary. <laughs> yeah, well, and this was in our bedroom, like between our, where Brian and I, we, we shared a room at the time and the two like between our two beds was this massive painting of me, of my face up on the wall. It's amazing. So that is forever cemented in our wedding song. Um, and I say, I didn't think you'd be the one, which is very true. I didn't mm. think I'd be marrying the guy uh, on the bedroom wall, but, but I did. Yep. <laughs> Never know. And then three months from when we met, you asked me on a walk. And um, that's true, right? Yep. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, well, we had talked at church a few times at Church of the Beloved uh, where we were going. And then I asked you, I sent you an email, if I remember right, because I was too nervous to ask you in person. That's true. And I was still dating someone. Yes. Well, <laughs> and that... when I got the email, I was like, oh, this guy Ben just emailed me and he wants to like hang out with me. And then my, my then boyfriend was like, he likes you. And I was like, no, no, I'm pretty sure like the church or, or the house, like sent him. Mm -hmm. Like an out, <laughs> outreach. Like, yeah. Yeah. And then the line, oh, I saw your smile in the sun. That was when I got off the bus, I saw you and you kind of smiled at me and I was like, yep, he likes me. <laughs> yep. Dead giveaway. Yeah. So I had to do some breaking up that night. Just to clarify, like we were already on our way out. This wasn't a relationship that was going to last much longer, whether or not I met Ben. Yeah, so our first date, you were technically dating someone else. <laughs> it wasn't a date, though. <laughs> uh-huh, sure. Just a hangout, right? Exactly. A long walk where we didn't we didn't eat anything, right? That's right, because I was too nervous to eat. I was nervous to eat. We, well, we had a coffee and, like, a cookie or something, and then, yeah, so we just... <laughs> yeah, yeah. Walked and talked and went up the Space Needle. Yeah. I mean, look up the other lyrics. <laughs> it didn't take me too long before I figured out love had taken me by surprise. It took some time before you said those three small words, but I always saw it in your eyes. Do you remember when you wanted to, 
like not say I love you like until our our wedding day at some point. That sounds like something <laughs> silly that I would say for some weird reason. I always get these strange ideas in my head that like I'm going to, you know, save that for some momentous occasion and make it really meaningful and significant and I don't know why I get those ideas in my head every now and then, but... I think a friend of yours did that. Like, they didn't say I love you until they went to the altar. Yeah. Like, I had heard of, you know, saving sex for marriage, saving, like, you know, your first kiss, like, eh, But, like, saying I love you. I'm like, no, we need to say that before before a lot of things. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and in hindsight, that would have been extremely awkward and not really that meaningful, given mm-hmm. what the wedding ended up being, so... <laughs> We didn't even kiss at our wedding. That's true. Yeah, we Little kissed. Known fact. Yeah, we kissed after the first dance. So. Yep. Any other lyrics you think are remarkable? <laughs> we will choose to be together anyway. I yeah. like that. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Our our engagement class was worth something. <laughs> yeah. That's right. Did you learn anything else in that engagement class that made it worth it? <laughs> I don't remember a single thing other than that we dressed up in matching shirts and we had a good time. I generally have very positive memories of the class. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was great. I don't remember specifically what we talked about, um, but you know how my memory is. <laughs> yeah. So. so leading up to the wedding, did you have any clue that I was doing any of this? Yeah, I knew the whole time. <laughs> no. no, I had no idea. I mean... There was no reason to suspect that you were doing anything like that. I knew you had written a wedding song for Abby, obviously, and I knew that you wrote songs and continued to do that, and that was something that was really meaningful to you, but I never, I guess it never even crossed my mind that you might write something like that for us, because maybe I didn't want to get my hopes up or something. I don't, I don't really know, but I just, it didn't cross my mind that that would be something that you would be doing. And especially not with our, you know, a couple of my good friends and our friends yeah. that um, were helping you in secret and keeping this from me and probably like, you know, laughing and winking in the corner, you know, or yeah. whatever. Well, we never but. like really saw Lacey. She wasn't like in our group of friends. True. But Ryan, the bass player, I think we all went to a concert together and that was like right after I had emailed him asking him if he would play the bass for the song. And I was like, don't tell Ben. But like just, just making eye contact with him at the concert was so awkward. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's one of those things that, you know, two people know about something and a third person doesn't. It's um, <laughs> hard not to give it away. But no, I had no idea and made it even more special, surprising. How did he feel when I asked you, like, if we could move the first dance to the beginning of the reception? Like, did you think that was weird or did it kind of make sense? No, I mean, it made sense. And your justification to get it out of the way made perfect sense because neither of us like dancing. Yeah. And and we didn't have a dance floor. Um, that's we did, right. We didn't have yeah. an alcohol or dance floor because, like, it wasn't, like, our wedding. Like, it was mostly, like, my mom's friends and family. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, it just it wouldn't have really fit yeah. the crowd that were at the wedding and there was dancing but no dance floor. <laughs> People yeah. just danced on the carpet. <laughs> yeah. They had a good time. <laughs> no, nah, so it didn't seem weird to me. It just it made sense because we we weren't having dancing as part of our reception anyway, so why would we you know, why wouldn't we just get it out of the way and 
enjoy our first dance together and then and then we could eat and and, and relax and you know move on do you remember what your reaction was when I told you, you know, I wrote a song and started playing. Mm -hmm. Yep. So you started crying and I, I definitely remember that. And I remember like feeling very emotional and sort of thinking, oh, am I going to cry? I don't want to cry. But I, <laughs> you know, this is really meaningful and special. And as you said, everything just sort of faded away. And I don't remember anybody else's reactions or faces in the moment. I just remember staring at you and and just holding you as we you know, swayed gently back and <laughs> forth because that's our equivalent of dancing. And it was just a, a really special moment, just you know, trying to savor and take in the words for the first time and just holding you as my wife for the first time. What does the song mean to you after eight years of marriage now that you've heard it again? I mean, I listen to it like, you know, every, every now and then, but mm. you probably haven't in a while. It's been a little while since I've listened to it, yes. And it reminds me of that time and it takes me back to all the memories of, of what we went through to get to that point of our relationship. And it reminds me that, you know, all, all of these fun memories of, you know, that form the, the lyrics of the song as we talk through that it's just, it's a really fun story. I mean, everyone, I think anyone can write a story for themselves in a in a fun and memorable way, but to have it memorialized for us in a in a song that we can cherish and listen to is pretty special. And I still love and and believe in so much of of what you've written in the song about us and you know choosing to be together, trusting each other, love, respect, and yeah, we've had some hard times and having kids is never easy and at the same time though we haven't really been through anything i would say like tragic or traumatic mm. yet that's I mean, true yeah we've been very fortunate mm -hmm. from that perspective yeah, very privileged and yeah very lucky so far so. yeah yeah so no doubt there'll be trials and tribulations ahead but yeah hopefully we'll the lyrics together. stay true mm-hmm <laughs> I think I've played this song for Arden a few times. Yeah, it's one thing to like enjoy the song for ourselves, it's another to like play it for our kids. <laughs> yeah, what has she thought of it? I mean, this was like a couple of years ago, I think, and she kept asking like, play mama's song, play mama's song, and I'm like, which one? I've written like 50. <laughs> Hundreds of songs. But yeah, I think, I think she'll appreciate it too, and Logan. It's funny, like, thinking about, like, you know, how much I dislike weddings, but, like, you know, I still had a nice, like, fairy tale wedding. I still have my dress in my old bedroom closet at my parents' house. I didn't really know what to do with it after, so we, like, preserved it and put it in a box. I think a few years after, I thought, like, maybe I'll, like, donate it to their, like, companies that take old wedding dresses and they, like, repurpose them for, like, stillborn babies and stuff. Like, really sad, but... Yeah, like donate it to like a nice cause like that. But the more Arden has grown up in her eyes, the more I'm like, I need to keep this dress for her. Like, I don't know if she'll ever wear it or want to wear it, but like, I know she'll probably want it in some form, you know, to either like cut it up for her something borrowed or <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because she wants that. 
older. You yeah, she's, she's anything like she is right now when she's older and, you know, meets someone. I think she'll <laughs> she'll want that fairy tale wedding. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. A little bit too early to tell with Logan whether he wants <laughs> that fairy tale wedding or not, but... Um, I don't think Logan will care about the dress, but maybe the shoes. He likes shoes. That's true. <laughs> he does like shoes. Yeah. Anything else you want to say? Thanks for writing it. Like, <laughs> thank you for surprising me with the song because I, yeah, I, it was such a special moment and, you know, such a a lasting memory for me. And, and I'm glad that we were able to experience that together and have that moment be ours at the wedding in the day that a lot of it wasn't ours, but. Yeah, I mean, the day we went fine, but yeah, that was a really special moment. And that was like the wedding to me, that dance, you know, not like the vows and whatnot. But yeah, that was, yep, that was it. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing your thoughts and um, and for being my first guest on the podcast, in-person guest, in I should person. say. Yeah. yeah, come on, Abby has the, <laughs> has the rights of first guests always, so. But, yep. Yeah. Good times. Good times. To wrap things up, here's the final studio version of today.
You can check out this song and some of my other tracks on soundcloud.com slash cupcakecandice. If you like this episode, please subscribe and share it with your friends. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you in a few weeks for my next season of Music for Cupcakes. Cupcakes.